we did a Christmas for Kids yesterday, and there, I'm like, uh, we helped out a lot of kids. Thank you guys very much, especially in the middle of the Palantine Roots journey, where you guys have been being so generous for that. You guys were all so generous to Christmas for Kids, so thank you so much for that. Uh, in in the middle of Christmas for Kids yesterday, I was walking around, and it's kind of neat to be in an event that I don't have to do anything for. You know, I just kind of, although Bob Woods kind of made fun of me for it, but I'm just kind of walking around, and I noticed on the tables, they had these uh, these uh, Christmas trees, but there were peeps. They make Christmas tree peeps. Now, I don't know how you make those things joust or anything, but I'm like, sweet, who knows, you can make sugar and marshmallow into the shape of a Christmas tree. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, so, again, if, if you are donating stuff for the Planting Roots Rummage Sale or you have, you've been trying to get a tax-deductible receipt because, you know, the tax man is right around the corner. Tax man cometh. So he's, he's right there. Uh, and you needed one of those, uh, Sarah will have them outside. Just check out her under the tent and she'll hand you one. Check her out. Check, check, you know what I mean. Cha-cha-cha. Go get one. And My goodness. It's like, you know, don't. Yeah. So... Go see her. She'll give you one of those. Other people have asked about the Hobbit movie. They said, because a couple years ago, we rented out a theater, and we all went to go see the Hobbit together. Uh, rather than trying to be our own uh, exclusive little club, uh, this year what we're going to do is we're all going to go to a movie together. We're going to tell you when we're going to do it, and if you want to come, meet us there. Uh, it's going to be on December 20th. We don't know what the times are yet, but whatever matinee is closest to noon, that's the one we're going to go. So if you want to go with a bunch of other element people... You may not want to because they talk the entire time. <laughs> well, this wasn't in the book. You know what's in the book? This giant, what's up with this giant eagle? You know, what's the dragon doing? You know. No, you should want to go. It's great. But when someone sits down next to you and the movie starts and they're like not looking at the movie, looking at you like this, just be like, here's some milk duds, chew them, face that way. So yeah, uh, we'll let you know as we figure out what time that actually is. And then, uh, again, the Women's Ornament Exchange is Tuesday. And, and I usually, every year, to ex- illustrate how cool ornaments are for the exchange, I bring out my Godzilla ornament, and you push it, and it goes, dun-dun-dun-dun, and he goes, ah! <laughs> It's really awesome. But last year, after I brought him out and showed everybody, he disappeared for like two months. <laughs> so this year, I did not bring him out, but what I brought out was this ornament I won last night at this at this ornament exchange, this is bacon. <laughs> so, so you can bring some awesome like bacon. Even better if it was like real and it was like, I like flimsy bacon, not crispy. This is going to be a little too crispy for me. You're like, you know when you put it in your mouth and you actually chew it? You know what I'm talking about? If you leave with the disease, it's good. So welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you don't own a Bible and you would like one, there are some in the back. Uh, if you don't, if you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes in all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, the sermon notes are written by one of our GC leaders, and they have what the, uh, kind of the message goes about, but also some questions that go along with it. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called YouVersion. Click on Live and YouVersion. It'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get the sermon notes and the verses and the questions and all that goes along with today's message. So stand with me for reading of God's Word. Okay, so this is Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded 
on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who live our lives on the rock that is you. Uh, that we would give you great glory and honor with our lives and you in turn give your children great joy. And we ask that our lives to be something that shows the entire world what it means to live on the rock. Amen. Have a seat. So this is Sermon on the Mount, week 43. Uh, turns out we got just two weeks left of the Sermon on the Mount. Or, I know, I can't believe you made it, right? Uh, hopefully it's been a really good year for you. Uh, our prayer is that you have grown throughout the course of the Sermon on the Mount, that God's goodness and the grace of Jesus has been made more known to you over this last year, uh, and that hopefully you are living now more in the kingdom of God than you ever were before. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 24. It's kind of where we're going to sit for a little bit. Uh, I personally love how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. I think he ends it with a lot more guts than a lot of modern day preachers ever would, because Jesus is the only guy who would end the greatest sermon ever preached by saying, and the house crashed down, don't be a dummy, the end. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, chapter, Matthew chapter 7 is Jesus' call into action. Uh, it's actually one of the places that you see most readily that Jesus is not just Redeemer and Savior, but He's also Lord. He is also King of our lives because He says these words, you know, because I am your Lord, because I am your King, listen to what I say. Your life should be founded on the words that I say. Now, I, I like video games and different kind of games, you know. My wife bought us these t-shirts that say, yes, we can, if it even knows what that means, but... Um, Thank you. All right. So uh, when I hear the word Lord, sometimes I think of like castles and peasants and noblemen and, you know, the the Lord raises taxes and the peasants have to pay them and they can't. And then they send their soldiers and like crush people and stuff like that. But as we looked over the last couple of weeks, the word Lord is how the New Testament used to translate God's name out of the Old Testament. And so when Jesus says Lord, it has a whole lot more connotations than just what we think of in games and and Middle Ages and things like that. I mean, what Jesus says when he says, I am Lord, it's not just a nice little saying. It shows us the truth of what obedience means in who he calls us to be. But we also understand that's obedience that comes out of Jesus' blessing that he's given to us. It comes out of the grace that he's first given to us. And this is why what Jesus teaches and what he says is so important to pay attention to. Because at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus does is he gives a global statement about the entire sermon. He talks about our responses to what he has said about being wise and being foolish. It's meaningful to us. We can actually take our lives and measure see what it looks like in comparison to that. Am I wise or am I foolish? Because Jesus defines it for us. Now, in Proverbs 13, verse 16, it says, In everything the prudent or the wise acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. Jesus wants us to be a people who live in the wisdom of what he called, that means living on that rock. I also think it's one of the reasons throughout the scriptures, Jesus constantly comes back to talking about children. Have faith like a child. Let the little children come to me. I mean, children trust their mom and dad all the time. I mean, they trust their parents, and they ultimately will trust God. I mean, this is the beauty of childlike faith. I mean, our faith is supposed to mature, but it's also supposed to be childlike in quality. Just like children trust their mom and dad when they're afraid, when they're unsure, when they're on like a sugar-induced slide into mental instability. You know, they, they still and they will trust their parents. And I was reading notes about the end of Matthew chapter 7, and one commentator mentioned this older kid's song by Karen Lafferty. 
It's really cheesy, you know, and so I'm not going to make you sing it or anything, but I had to go and I had to find the words because I never, never heard it before. But there's kind of some deep theology in these words. You've got to think of little kids singing this at the top of their lungs, and again, don't worry, after the service is over, it's not one of the songs we're ending with, so, so don't worry because it's really cheesy, but it says this, don't build your house on the sandy land, don't build it too near the shore. It might look kind of nice, but you'll have to build it twice, so you have to build your house once more. We're sorry. Okay. <laughs> And then it says, you better, and the second part comes in and says, you better build your house on the rock. Augustine and Martin Luther both said, singing is like praying twice. Don Davis says, it's like preaching twice, so I'm preaching twice at you. You better build your house on a rock, make a good foundation on a solid spot. The storms may come and go, but the peace of God you will know. I mean, this is a treasure of theology. Don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore. It might look kind of nice. You might think your life looks really, really good, but you have to build it twice. Oh, You'll have to build your life once more. I mean, if you don't build on that right foundation, your life's going to be wasted and ruined. And again, these are Jesus' words that encompass the entire Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says there's like a road in the universe, and we're all on it. Whether you want to admit it or not, we're all on it. And there's all these forks all over this road. You know, and so we're decisive. About it. What are we going to do on these, on these forks? And if, you, and if you listen to the words of Jesus, you're wise at those forks. If you don't, you're building on sand and you're a fool. It all has to do with how we're responding to Jesus as we come into all these things in our lives. I mean, the key that Jesus is here, he says, I want you guys to persevere. I want you to persevere because of the strength I have given to you. There's this old story about a rich guy and he goes to a builder. And he says, I want you to build me the nicest house that you can ever dream up. Doesn't matter the cost, doesn't matter the time, just do it. So a couple years later, the builder finishes this house. He goes back to this rich guy and hands him the key and says, here's the keys to your house. And the rich guy says, hey, thanks. And he gives the builder the keys and he says, you can have this house, but you have to live in it. And as soon as the builder got the keys, he started walking through the house. And he noticed all the blemishes, all the little cut corners, all the things that could have been made better. And this is the truth about our lives is that we live in the house that we build. I mean, a lot of times we want to blame everybody else for all the things going on around us, but we, in essence, live in the house that we build. I mean, maybe if you listen really closely this morning, you may hear like a three-point sermon about the wise and the foolish and the one who has authority, but we'll see how that works. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus begins this section about the wise. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now, Jesus understands what his words mean when he says them. When he says, put these things into practice. When your house is on the rock, everything can beat against you. The storms can rise. The the winds can blow like in Santa Maria in January and February and March and April, May and June (laughs) and July and August and September, right? But you're still standing. Uh, now, this year, when, when we did baptisms, the first one was in April. I didn't have this pergola thing in my backyard yet, and so we put up our, our little gazebo, whatever, the easy up, easy up. So we put up our easy up, and everybody else brought their stuff. So I was too lazy to take it down afterwards. About two weeks later, we got another windstorm, and it just took my little easy up across the lawn, and it folded it in half. Now it's just like an up. It's not like an easy up. And it's, and it's folding half, and I can't, it's, uh, you know, it would have done a lot better if I would have actually anchored it into concrete, like anchored it into the rock. You ever go to the beach and you take like an umbrella to keep the sun off you or you're going, oh, we're going to bring our badminton set or a volleyball net and you put it up it's like, and you can't, and you finally get it up, it's like, don't touch it, don't breathe on it. And also the wind comes up and everything, and it falls over. Why? You're trying to anchor in the sand. There is no way to anchor in sand. I mean, and this is the understanding, in our lives, things are hardly ever going to go the way that you want or the way that you dream. There's going to be tragedies, there's going to be heartaches, unexpected pain. 
but the wise are people who have built their lives on Jesus' truth, on his words, his person, not on other people, money, or things. Uh, people who build their lives on the rock trust Jesus' promises, his commands, his insight. Our lives are to be built upon him. They're not even to be founded upon our family and our civil religion or pragmatism or our jobs. They're founded on him first above all things. And Jesus just said every person who has ever lived will face storms in their life. It's going to happen. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. He doesn't say if. He simply says this is what happens. It will happen. The question is, what is your foundation? I mean, do you have a struggle? Jesus said it's a certainty of certainties that we'll have struggles. And these things in the end will will, will test everything that you think that you are. In the scripture, you've got to understand there is no such thing as untested discipleship, ever. No such thing as it. And so for you, it could be a doctor's diagnosis, it could be losing a job, uh, losing a loved one. Maybe you're betrayed by a friend or betrayed by a spouse or you have marriage on the rocks. How are you going to respond? In the book of Psalms, two-thirds of those psalms are psalms of lament and anger and frustration because the writer is not losing faith. He trusts God and he's voicing it. It's why the book of Lamentations is lament after lament after lament. I mean, Lamentations, people hate reading the book of Lamentations today because they don't know what to do with it. And people read it, they're totally tempted to say, well, this is a problem with religion. Obscure old poems by angry, confused people that have nothing to do with the world that I live in. And yet it does have everything to do with the world that we live in. We live in a culture of denial. And we think things look bad and we're saying, oh, well, don't talk about it. Don't, don't say that out loud. People have even said that to me, as if giving words to it can make it worse. Voldemort, right? I mean, seriously, we don't live in a Harry Potter world. God says you give voice to these things. You don't stay silent. If you look at education in our country over the last 100 years, which we're all a part of, what it tells us is implicitly or explicitly that you give human beings enough time and resources and we'll figure it all out. I mean, that's what Star Trek is all about. We're going to figure this all out. It's utopia. But all we're doing is teaching each other how to build on sand. Because here's the problem. The Titanic sank. Oh, this is the height of our technology. Nothing can sink this ship. Oh, it's amazing. Have you seen it? It sank. What? By a floating piece of ice. (laughs) We think we are so smart. I mean, the Titanic is a metaphor for us. Give us more time. I mean, in the last 150 years, we have constantly been told now, if we can just get rid of religion and Jesus and God and all these things, well then, the human race would be so much better off. And so they keep pushing for that. Yet in the last 150 years, more people have died by other human hands than in all of human history combined. All of it. And we live with this sense of, oh, well, we'll make it better. We'll figure it out. We look back on these barbaric, archaic bumpkins from Bible times thinking we're so much smarter than they are. And yet we have managed to kill more of each other in our most technologically advanced, scientifically enlightened state ever. I mean, I don't know if you can see how we live in this culture of denial. And, it, and we're so conflicted in our core because we're not sorting it out. And we're denying that we're not sorting it out. We just continue to build more and more on sand. And our denial puts us in awkward positions in all kinds of ways. Like, uh, in our culture, we don't know, know what to do with, you know, old age and, and dying and death and heading downhill. Here, here's a number for you. Ready? 17.3 billion. That is an estimate from 2010 of what people spent on cosmetic surgery. Right. 
right? I would say that there was a big failure of our culture to come to grips with the fact that we're getting older. I mean, the scripture tells you that, you know, gray hair is like the, it's for the wise because you've gone through all these things and it's wonderful. And I know most of us are like, gray hair, oh, pull that up, Ooh, dye that, get rid of that. What are we going to do with, with those things? And, and yet, it's, in the scriptures, it's seen as this beautiful, wonderful thing. I mean, a nick here and a tuck there and augmentation there isn't going to change the fact that we're getting older. I mean, look at Joan Rivers. Was anything left on her that was Joan Rivers? <laughs> Poor Bruce Jenner. He just needs to stop at some point, right? <laughs> Open your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. One of the things that strikes me really strong about building your house on the rock and the storms are rising, it reminds me of when we went through the book of Lamentations a, a few years ago. Uh, if, you, if you didn't listen to it, it's six weeks. You can go online. Again, it's free. You can listen to it. Uh, Lamentations 3, what happens is this character shows up, and he's called a geber. The word geber means man. In modern-day Hebrew, it means sir. It's strong. It's masculine. It's brave. Someone who's a defender of the weak and women and children. It's a military term. In chapter 3, it's found in verse 1 and verse 27 and verse 35, verse 39. So chapter 3, verse 1, has this, I am the man who has seen affliction. Again, the word man is the word geber. Now, what you have to understand when this takes place is that you had Lamentations 1 and 2. And Lamentations 1 and 2 is the destruction of Jerusalem. Everything is laid waste. And so what you have is this woman who is the personification of the city of Jerusalem. And she's crying out, has anyone seen my pain? Has anyone seen my destruction? Does anybody care? Has anybody noticed? Can anybody see what is going on here? In chapter 3, finally somebody shows up, this Geber. He's like fresh from the battlefield with like the, just the clothes on his back. And he runs and he says, I was there. I have seen the affliction. And, and the word see in Hebrew is the word to experience. I have experienced the affliction. I've experienced that destruction, the wind and the waves and the storms. And he launches into a rant. Verse 2, he says, He, that's God, has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. And now you're thinking, who invited this guy to the party, right? Like Debbie Downer. He's showing up. Like, Trent Reznor wrote some more songs, and here they are. All right. yeah. And this guy is like, it is worse than you could ever imagine. God doesn't hear me. God shuts me out. Verse 15, he says, he has filled me with bitterness and sated me with gall. It's like God fed me bitterness and didn't make it better. He fed me more bitterness. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. God has curbed me. He made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. I mean, on and on. God has broken my teeth with gravel. I mean, we're all kids. We all ate gravel as kids. It doesn't chew. It just breaks teeth. That's all it does. He is like saying to this woman, Jerusalem, you're questioning God? I have seen the destruction. And he certainly is not there. So he starts to blame God for all this destruction. And then in verse 21, he starts to change gears. And this is what he says. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man, that's the word, Geber, that he may bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. So he starts with, God has broken my teeth, he has pierced my heart, but he ends with, but I still have hope. God's mercy is true, God can be trusted. And so you sit down, you talk to this Geber, 
And you say, what is it, Mr. Geber? You know, what, what is this? Are you for God or against God? Are you a doubter? Do you have strong faith? Is God good or is he destructive? Now, I'm not a big fan of Kathleen O'Connor's writing, but she says something really cool about these verses. She says, when you meet the Geber, it is someone with entangled theology. Hope and horror stand side by side. Hope and honesty stand side by side. Hope and contradiction stand side by side. So you take like the Geber part one and the Geber part two and you mix it together, it looks like this. God has pierced my heart, but God is good. God has driven me away, but God's love is great. God has broken my teeth with gravel, and yet God is compassionate. God has trampled me in the dust, and God is good. And there's a lot of people in Christianity today that think that hope is the absence of all these negative emotions, and it's not. I mean, the Geber cries out. The Geber cries out in pain, but he cries out to God because his hope is founded on the rock. And there are too many traditions today that try to make certainty into their God rather than trusting certainty to their God. Because there will be a time in your life when your certainty is shattered and it's going to be crushed. And you're going to sit just like the Geber. And you're going to have this crushedness over here, but will hope sit alongside of that? You're going to have everything you thought in ashes. Will hope sit alongside that? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. There did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The storms reveal if all the sermons you've ever heard and all the songs you've ever sung are actually real to you. Because it's one thing to sing the songs that we sing. It's another to actually live those things out. And this is why I think words like cheap grace, especially how we define it today, and easy roads don't work. Because, and I think they don't translate well with the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are you when others persecute you. Take the log out of your own eye before trying to take it out of somebody else's eye. Pray every day. Jesus says, when you live this way, in my grace, in my hope, in my love, you are wise. You are wise. And when you experience what everybody else experiences in life, the wind and the waves and the water, it's at that time you really begin to understand and feel his strength kick in. Not that I wasn't there before, but it's then you begin to understand it. There are two things that Jesus says happen when your life is built on the rock. Number one, he says they endure. They endure. They did. The house did not fall. Fifth point of Calvinism is called the perseverance of the saints. God keeps his your kids. Kids keep going because God keeps his kids. He enables us to keep going. You may be bleeding and limping. It may look really ugly, but you're still moving forward. Anybody here ever hang out with little kids? Not like in a creepy way, but like, you know, hang out with little kids? All right, okay. All right. Um, I remember when... Mason, who's Mike and Carrie's little boy, he's, Mike's the guy that plays drums, and Mason's like this little kid, and he's got this gigantic red head. Okay, he's got this red hair. His head's it's like a bobblehead. His head is like bigger than his body. It's kind of crazy. And, and he's learning how to take his first steps, right? And that gigantic head keeps pulling him over. It's like, gravity. You know, oh no. And, and, and do you think his parents, when he did that, were like, Mason, learn how to balance your head. You know, figure this out. You know, you got to Or do you think they were like, Mason, that was three steps. That's amazing. Woo, go. What do you think they're like? Go, it's amazing. Uh, my GC leaders, Donald and Laura, they have a daughter named Felicity. Oh, it's okay, by the way, to talk about this. Um, she has this condition where her words don't make it to her mouth. And so she thinks just fine, but sometimes her words don't come out. So she's like two and a half, three years old. The only word she said is like mama and dada, and that's it. And so, you know, we're, we're praying about this, and she's going to speech therapy. And one day they're like, hey, do you want that? And she goes, yeah. We're like, what? <laughs> yeah! 
And we're all just totally excited. Yeah, she's like, I mean, do you think they're like, we're having bacon and eggs this morning. Felicity, you better learn how to use your words. You're going to starve. You're going to say bacon and eggs. Or do you think they're excited for every little step she takes? Yeah. Now, if you're a child of God, like your life is surrendered to Jesus, you're, you're in his, and all that, you know, do you think when you stumble and fall that Jesus is like, ah, dummy? Or do you think he's like, let's get up, let's keep walking. Oh, yeah, look at those steps. Let's go, let's go. I mean, if you have walked with Jesus one month, one day, you know, one year, five years, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, do you think you have any day you've ever lived by yourself? Any day? No, not at all. Every step you took, every moment, Jesus is walking with you. And he assures us that those who keep his word, you know, and, and they don't fall away because he's the one who keeps us in that, that we, our lives are founded on the rock. I mean, we've got to understand that the New Testament calls this perseverance. Perseverance are these people whose lives are founded on that rock. We could be shaky, we could be unsure, we may fall over sometimes, but you endure because Jesus is the foundation. Second thing it says is there's a reward. Yeah, we get to be, we're part of the kingdom. I mean, the kingdom is there, the kingdom is here, you know, Jesus calls us to usher it in, he renews this world, he renews us. I mean, what, what will it be like one day to stand before Jesus and have him look at you and say, well done? I mean, if you're like me, I'm going to be like, did you not see that life? I mean, I just spent it like my face in the dirt the entire time. The entire, I, really? It's going to be like, yeah, but you know, you trusted me. You trusted me. Enter into my rest. I mean, I mean that's, that's worth a lifetime of following him. It really is. Then Jesus contrasts that with the fool. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Same situation, wise and foolish people. They both build houses. They both hear Jesus' words. You know, they, they both have trouble. They both suffer and encounter these problems and storms. And the difference is, you know, what do they do with Jesus' words? I mean, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount all year long. Let's do the very words of Jesus. And I think it's time for you and I to begin to enact this, to live this. Because the foolish person is the one who hears and hears and hears and hears and hears and never acts on it. It could be apathy. It could be antagonistic. Jesus doesn't say. But what he does say is there's no middle of the roadism. There's, there's none of that. No in between. Either hear and you love and live or you hear and ignore. It's simple, easy. You build on the rock or you build on the sand that shifts. And in the wake of tragedy that we live under in our lives all the time, we will see what our lives are built on. And failing to trust Jesus and trying to trust our own mind or job or our own spouses is just shifting sand. I mean, I will tell you, I've been married 22 years this year. I could never build my life on my wife. If I ever truly want to love her, my life cannot be built on her. I mean, if you have kids, you know, and, and you cherish those kids, and, and I get it, you know, they're brilliant and favored and good looking by God, I get it, okay? But you cannot build your life around your children. You just cannot do it. It is shifting sand. There must be something greater than you and them. Greater than your emotions or your mind or your money or your job and greater than your faults. Something that when the entire world shifts around you, your life is placed in it and it's solid. Someone who lifts you up when you start to sink. When you get bad news of like it's cancer or your son has died. I lose it. Every service right here. Or you'll never be able to have kids. That's ours. And I, I made for service cry. And I'm, I'm doing it to you guys too. If you have lost everything. If you have lost everything. What 
or whom in that will give you strength on the worst day you've ever had? What is it? Who is it? Because it's Jesus. And the person who hears Jesus and doesn't live on that rock is wasting their life. Just wasting their life. There are two things Jesus says happens when your life is built on sand. Number one, it's wasted. Ultimately, your life is wasted. Uh, Matthew 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? At the end of your life, everything is temporary, but Jesus and the people around you, that's it. You will be empty. And secondly, ruin happens. Because not only did the house fall, but he says great. That's the word mega in the scriptures, which like you go to uh, Costco and you buy a pack of toilet paper, it's mega, it won't fit in your cart. Okay, mega was the fall of it. Proverbs 10 verse 8, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. I think today the sandy ground that we live on is our own rationalism. We think we are so much more civil and smarter and better than everyone else. We think that we can live our life by ourselves. We think all we need is the three pounds of gray matter stuck between our ears, and we don't really need anybody else. But we don't really have control over our lives. We don't. And we're all going to have a final day. We will all breathe our last, and you will have nobody else around you. be like you and Jesus face to face. I mean, do you want to approach him like a father and a friend you've known your entire life where you jump in his arms, grab his hand, and walk with him? Or do you want to see Jesus and be like, oh, no, and you start with uncertainty and even fear because of the life that you should have lived to get for the life that you thought you wanted. And it's just sand. I think, some, I think many people today live lives burdened by their own guilt and their own shame and their own want and their own greed. And they refuse to give up their life to Jesus. They just keep doing the same stupid thing over and over and over and say, why doesn't anything change? Why doesn't anything get any better? Because they're constantly building their life on their own sand. It's sandy ground. I mean, the person who trusts Jesus and lives in Jesus, things may fall around them. You may stumble down. But... They never fall because the rock is solid underneath them. Don't build your house on a sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore. It might be kind of nice, but you have to build it twice. Oh, you'll have to build your house once more. You better build your house on a rock, make a good foundation on a solid spot. Then the storms may come and go, but the peace of God you will know. It's kind of like builders. You know, they, they have blueprints and they have these lines on papers. And I think from a builder's perspective, our lives, our houses, are built on a couple lines. Uh, first off, there's like a vertical line that goes from God to us. You know, it's top down, God to us. And then there's also another line that, that's like a horizontal line that comes in there. And I try not to make this really cheesy, but there's almost no way not to make this cheesy, okay? Um, because what you have is this idea that this horizontal, this horizontal line goes from man to man. And I think the best way this is represented is in the cross of Jesus Christ. Understanding that it is him who has come to save us, and that's grace. And us to each other, that's love. I mean, this is, this is building your life on the rock, understanding what this means. The cross is where all this stuff centers around. You know, the line of grace reaching to us, and the cross being called love, where we show grace and love to one another. I mean, the good news in the gospel is that God doesn't leave us just flooded and rain-swept and wind-swept and stormed and abandoned. He intends to build us into a new creation in his son. That's what he does. This is why we sing this song. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We trust Jesus. We trust his words. We trust his life. This is the heart of the gospel. That our God has rescued his people. And our lives now are to be built upon that rock and that foundation of who he is. And yet too often... We think we are so much smarter 
than surrendering ourselves to the grace and the love of Jesus. I mean, God is the one who is drawing us to Him. And in that drawing, in that blessing, in that understanding, our lives become surrendered to who He is. Is your life built on the rock? And if you have never known Jesus, you know, today is a great day. Because today, right now, you have that opportunity to live and walk and love Him. There's going to be deacons and elders in the back, and they would love to pray with you and talk with you about it. And if you've been building your life on sand, and you no longer want to build your life on sand, God is calling. He's calling. The band's going to come up. As I do, we invite you guys to take communion. Communion is the place where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. Uh, You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me so that we as a people can actually live on that solid ground. I mean, the the representation of communion is Christ's death, which takes away our sin, that which separates us from each other and us from God. And then he raises to new life, which raises us to new life because we're dead and we need to be alive. So our sins are taken away, we're raised to life. It's the beauty of it. And we remember that when we take communion, that our lives are built on the rock, on the grace and the love and the hope of Jesus. And again, if you need prayer, they'd love to pray with you about that. There's, there's offering boxes in the sidewall and, and the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving's part of our worship. And so you have the opportunity every week. And there's some food and stuff in the back. I know Pete Newman brought like a whole mess of donuts. Maybe that's lunch for you. I don't know. But by the grace of God, there were donuts. And there, I think there's food back there. Grab something to eat. And again, we always try and give you guys food every week. One day, I know it's probably going to stop. But we try and do this because we want you guys to connect to one another. Because, again, we are saved individually by Jesus, but he intends for us to live in community with one another. Because what happens when those storm hits? I mean, it's you and Jesus. Jesus is that rock, but he puts us in community with one another so that people can help us walk through those storms and walk through those hard times in life with one another, focused on who he is, our great redeeming God who has saved us. And so we always want to try and connect you. But if you uh, want to check out a gospel community, uh, let them know at the Welcome Center in the back. Someone will give you a call this week. They'll invite you. We'd love to have you guys all get connected uh, in, in a way that helps us to walk through those storms as we help one another focus on Jesus. If, if you're not, you know, grab the sermon notes and take out you know, your, your spouse or your best friend or your kids or whatever and maybe walk through those, those questions in, in the sermon notes and maybe go a little bit deeper with that. Because I think once we understand better and deeper you know, the, the great calling of our God... And, and how the storms of life don't have to destroy us. They actually, in the end, can make us stronger. I think we understand how the gospel is lived out. I mean, really, I was talking to my friend Patrick this week because he went to the hospital and he had a pulmonary embolism. And the doctor's like, you should have died. There's no way you should have lived. And after it's over, he's like, he goes, I, I got to, God just, just opened my eyes. It's amazing. So I want to live. I want. And I'm like, well, okay, well, let, let's talk about it. I mean, don't wait for something like that. It's like, it's like every day, understanding the goodness of God, the rock that we're built on, and a lot of times those, those hardships make us stronger. And I think they only make us stronger when we are founded on that rock. And we understand that. I'm going to stop babbling. I'm just going to pray for you guys. But remember uh, that Jesus is our solid rock. Live in him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would reinforce in us what it means uh, to live founded upon you and not upon our own intellect or upon what we think we know is so much better than you. I ask that you would humble our hearts and our lives 
to understand the depth of what it means to be founded upon a rock. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for not leaving us to our own devices. Thank you for not leaving us broken and wounded without redemption or restoration. Thank you that the mess we make of our lives is not the end of the story. And that even with all of the garbage that we continually do, you are calling us forward and calling us home. And I thank you to just to be satisfied in who you are. Teach us to live lives that glorify and honor you through the good times and through the storms. And when winds buffet and things hit us, that we would understand that we are founded upon the rock that is immovable in the midst of all the swirling sand around us. Teach us to trust and live in you. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.